All right. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? You're good? Come on, you got to be good. It's a new year. The sun is shining. Look at that. Oh, what a blessing. Yeah, last week the sun was shining, but it was blowing 50 miles per hour outside as well. So that was fun for all of us at the park. Had a good attendance at the park. There were like 200 of us down there with all that wind. But we made it. We survived. We're here. We're gathered. We're starting a new series in this new year in the book of Revelation. I know you're all excited about this. You got the bookmarks on your seats. You're already looking at your reading assignments for the weeks to come. That's correct. I would love for you to follow along as we go into this book that, let me tell you, it evokes all kinds of things. This is a book that inspires, right? It's a book that confuses, it alienates, it consumes people. Rarely is, you know, the response to the book of Revelation indifference. It always provokes a strong response in individuals. And why is that? It's because of its striking imagery and its symbolism and its future telling. I mean, there's locusts that look like horses but have human faces in this book. Yeah, that's what you're signing up for right now. There's, there's a woman who rides on the back of a beast. There's a dragon. There's Jesus with his robe dipped in blood and his tongue that's a sword. For some of you, your blood is already boiling with excitement. For others of you, I've already lost you, basically. You know, in this study, my intent is to convey the truth of revelation for everyone to receive it afresh. Meaning, if you've been totally put off by this book your whole life, I hope that you receive the truth of this book afresh. Maybe you've been engrossed in it for your whole spiritual walk. I hope that you receive the truth of it afresh. And I want to demonstrate this book's enormous relevance, not just as it relates to like the world events that are playing on around us, but the chief relevance it has for every follower of Christ in the way that we live here and now today. A little background before we jump into reading and beginning the book. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He's the writer of the Gospel of John, the three letters, the pastoral letters that are named after him. He wrote it while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, which is a Roman prison colony. He wrote it very late in the first century as persecution was starting to break out against Christians across the Roman Empire, particularly in the region where he was a minister. He wrote it in response to a vision he was given while on the island of his exile. As we'll soon read, an angel commanded him to write down what he was going to be shown so that he could share it with us. He could distribute it to the church. And what was God's purpose in giving John this vision that he was to distribute to us the church? What was the intent? Was it to give us an obscure book that we can all just sort of endlessly debate and argue about theologically, endlessly, so that we could divide and have more reasons to divide? Is that the intent? Was the intent in God giving John this revelation and distributing it to us that we would have this like chronological answer key for all the world events, how they're going to play out so that we can be prepared for them? You know, was that the purpose? Was it to inspire fear and suspicion regarding the powers and forces of evil at work in our world today? You know, I think the book of Revelation has been leveraged to all those ends. But I want to state, and I'll state this again later in our study this morning, that, and I think the book will make itself clear, that all those ends, and many of the ends that this book has been leveraged for, are the opposite 
of God's intent for his purpose in giving it to us in the first place. God's intent and John's intent was to provide a pastoral letter and prophecy to the church through all ages that would help us understand the nature of the spiritual battle that's taking place in our world in the here and now. That the church that we find ourselves in the midst of, and he's casting that spiritual battle that's presently happening in light of the absolute sovereignty and power that God presently has, and in light of the assured victory that has already been established through Jesus' work on the cross. So the effect of revelation on the believer should be to encourage faith and confidence in God and stir up faithfulness in God's people despite the worldly pressures that persist around us. For as Jesus declares at the very end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, I am coming, and blessed is he and she who keeps the words of this book, of this prophecy. So it has to do with us maintaining faithfulness, for us changing the way we live in the present day. Now, key to interpreting the book and understanding its content is understanding the way in which it was written. What are we really getting into here? And I mean, some of you, you're from church backgrounds where you got into this book 10 times, right? Others of you, the church background never even touched it. Some of you are new in the faith. You're going, what in the world? There's, this is a lot of setup for a book. What, what are we stepping into? Look, the book of Revelation is a mixture of different literary genres. It, the, the main encapsulating genre that you'd put it in is apocalypse writing, meaning it's speaking of all this divine imagery. There's several Old Testament books that have sort of this same sort of apocalypse-style genre to it. Ezekiel, Zechariah, uh, you know, parts of Isaiah. So that, that's like the chief overriding genre. But you've also got a pastoral letter in here. This is also a letter from a pastor to churches. And, and we'll see that even in this first month of the study. There's like literal letters, but the whole thing is a letter. And there's also prophecy. It calls itself a book of prophecy, meaning God is speaking to his people through all times how they're to live in accordance with his plans and purposes. It's a mixture. Revelation is like the platypus of the New Testament. I mean, and that's what makes it so interesting for some people, and that's what makes it so off-putting for other people. Revelation is extra. It just is. It's like us, our household, after we bought a cat for Christmas. You know, we had the five kids, we had the dog, and then we added the cat. It's just extra. It's just a lot to handle. And that, that's supposed to be the case. Revelation is supposed to be extra. We're going to get into that in the future. But, but, you know, a lot of the obsession with this book focuses on its future telling, the projecting that it does on into world events that are to come. Do you understand? A, a vast majority of this book actually refers to the past. In fact, this book is more connected with the past maybe than any other book in the Bible. Scholars estimate there are 500 allusions in this book alone to Old Testament texts. They estimate on Paul's side, all of his writings combined, there's only 200 so as much as this book is about the future, and as much as it's about things that are going on today and how we ought to live in accordance with keeping the words of the prophecy, it's also about uniting everything God has done in the past. So if you're an Old Testament buff, you're so excited right now. But unfortunately, many of you would not say that you're well-versed in the Old Testament. So again, that can just be one more reason you're intimidated. Now let me encourage you. You've got me. You've got me for the next three months to help be your guide. Is that encouraging? I don't know. You know, I'm your guide through this next three months. And 
you know, I'm going to just state up front, I'm an imperfect guide. I don't know everything there is to know about Revelation. I don't have an exact interpretation for all the signs and the mysteries that are contained in this book. And if I were to guess, I'd be wrong. And uh, I don't know if that's encouraging again, but I, I think it's better. I mean, you choose. Would you rather have someone who admits they don't know? Or would you like to have somebody who says they know and they're wrong the whole time? Because that's basically anyone who says they have all the answers to it, they are wrong. So I'm just admitting to you from the outset, I don't have all the answers. I'm your guide. I'm not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. I don't need to be your Lord. I can be a help to you. And I know that we can walk away understanding the things God wants us to know and needs us to know the most important things. So I'll be there to help unwrap some of these allusions to the Old Testament and some of the signs and some of the chronology as we understand and we take away. I think we're all going to take away from this study of Revelation how this book unites the whole of the Scriptures and it unites the whole of human history into one narrative and helps us find our place in the midst of it. Let's start. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. No small task, what I've just laid out. We're starting manageable today, just eight verses. If you look ahead on the bookmarks, not always going to be the case. We're going to be going through a chapter, two chapters at a time. Whew. That's a lot. All right, that's future me. That's future you. All right, today we're starting manageable, just eight verses in this introduction. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass one to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this Bible. And the verses will also be on the screens. Revelation 1, verse 1. John writes, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, <coughs> and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pause there at this introduction to the book of Revelation. As I mentioned at the outset, this is the revelation, the vision of Jesus Christ, which God gave John to show God's servants, that is you and me, what must soon take place. This already, from verse 1, is an allusion to an Old Testament book, the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, you've got one of God's people who's risen to a very high level as an advisor in the Babylonian Empire, and the king of the Babylonian Empire. He doesn't follow God, but God gives him a dream. And Daniel's brought in to interpret that dream. And the dream basically just conveys this revelation. It makes known to Nebuchadnezzar, and it's written there in the Scriptures, that one day... 
God's kingdom is going to triumph over all the kingdoms of the world. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45, Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar, God has made known to you things of the future, things that will occur in the latter days. So John is picking up on this same topic. He's saying, God made known to me the things that must soon take place, the latter days, the future days are now the days that we are living in. I love when Hollywood always looks forward into the future and projects into the future what the world is going to be like, and then we step into those days, and we see what it's actually like. And Back to the Future 2, Marty McFly in 2015, he's riding around on a hoverboard. Right In the 80s, they thought we'd have hoverboards by 2015. Instead, we had like those you know, wheeled scooters that were electric that like lit on fire because the lithium batteries were defective. That's, that's all we had in 2015. You know, they look forward, but what I'm saying is, like, there's a period of time in Hollywood, they, they project forward, this is what the world is going to be like, and Daniel's looking forward, but John is saying from verse 1, I'm not looking forward anymore. Yes, the book of Revelation is going to speak about things future, but he's saying these are the things that are going on today. Now, it's not as if he's just referring to the things that are going to go on in our day. Every generation reads the book of Revelation as if, John is speaking of things that are coming soon for just them and not for anyone else who's ever lived. You know, everybody makes this error. And there are plenty of people who are going about this saying, okay, yes, John was talking about the things that must soon take place. So let me walk you through the book of Revelation. And it's been totally irrelevant and useless throughout most of human history. But just now in the Western world in 2023 are all the news headlines exactly corresponding with the things that are right here. You know, it's the only taking place for us. It, it didn't matter. All those other people for, you know, 2,000 years, uh, they, they couldn't get to the secrets of it. I think that's a grave error. What John is sharing with us, I think, was the things that must soon take place for those Christians 1,900 years ago, as much as it is for us. He's referring to many things that will continuously be happening in all ages of the church following the resurrection of Jesus. But why does every generation think that the book of Revelation has been tailored specifically to them? Why do they walk away and think, oh, okay, everything that's here is just for us in our news headlines and not for anyone else? Well, it's because of the vagueness and obscurity of much of the book, which is highlighted in verse 1. When it says in verse 1 that God made known the revelation to John... The word made known, more literally, is to symbolize. God symbolized the revelation to John. He signified things to John, which is more open-ended. It's a curious term to use. It's used in John chapter 21 when Jesus is referring to the death of Peter, one of his followers. Very inspiring passage. Very encouraging from Jesus to one of his closest followers. He speaks about Peter's future death in cloaked terms. He signifies it. He says to Peter, look, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're older, others will dress you. They'll stretch out your arms and lead you where you don't want to go. Of course, he's speaking of crucifixion. John chapter 21, verse 19, doesn't say that. He doesn't come out and say that. It says Jesus spoke in these terms to indicate, to signify the sort of death that Peter would die. He didn't come out and just speak it literally and clearly. In the same way, this book is filled with metaphors. 
Unless you want to believe there are going to be a people who have flamethrowers coming out of their mouths. Unless you want to believe that there's going to be a literal dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on all of its heads. No, this book is filled with metaphors that communicate to us in the same way God communicated to Nebuchadnezzar through his dream. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream that I referenced earlier, talking about God's kingdom overtaking the kingdoms of the world, what does he see? He sees this statue, and it's comprised of these different materials, and all the different materials represent these different earthly kingdoms. And then there's a rock that comes into the vision and destroys the statue. That is the kingdom of God, destroys the kingdoms of the earth, and then it turns into a mountain and fills the entire earth. Now, that's a metaphor. The dream wasn't communicating. This is literally what's going to happen, although it does correlate to real events that happened in human history. All that to say, we don't have to automatically conclude that everything that happens in this book is literal, that there's this literal beast and there's this literal dragon that looks exactly the way that they do, that they have to be that way. They don't have to be literal to correspond to real active events that are taking place around us and will take place in the future. And in fact, we ought to assume the opposite, that it isn't just literal unless John directs us to do otherwise. Now, to move beyond verse 1 here, what are we at timing-wise? Is that 15 minutes, 20 minutes? We're going to get through this in three months. I haven't even gotten through the first verse. You guys ready to move on? Let's move on. Past verse 1. John receives this God-given vision through Jesus by an angel to him to distribute to the church of this vision filled with signs and mysteries, speaking of the things that must soon take place, some of which are things that will take place in our day and on into the future. And all of this is paired with a blessing. You know, I, I'm sure that's encouraging at this point. You're going, man, that was a lot of work just to get through verse 1. What's this going to be like? Well, guys, guess what? All this that we're going to be unwrapping it's paired with a blessing. Selfishly, that's why I picked this one. Because verse 3 says, I'm blessed if I read this aloud in the assembly of God's people. So for three months, that's exactly what I intend to do. We're going to read through this entire book aloud in our gathering. But it says, you're blessed. You're blessed if you hear it. You're blessed if you wake up, get dressed, get out of bed, and get here to listen to it. And if you miss to go out of your way to go to the podcast to follow along. If you listen to it, but don't just listen to it, you're told you've got to take it to heart if you work through its themes. Blessed are you. Happy are you. Joyful are you. This is the intent of the book of Revelation. If you utilize and teach and understand the book of Revelation correctly, it will produce in a believer blessing. It will produce in a believer joy. It will produce happiness if you understand the intent of the book. Well, you know, if you want to use a hammer correctly, it's either going to drive a nail or remove a nail. You know, I have this, you know, blood blister permanently on my finger because I did not utilize a hammer the correct way. And everyone gawks at it and goes, Ugh, you should get that checked out. I know what it is. I didn't use a hammer the correct way. You know, and, and I'll tell you, if we utilize and understand the book of Revelation the correct way, it produces joy. It produces happiness, not fear, not confusion, not late night mind running, not Bible code cracking, joy. 
because of the unassailable, absolute, and eternal victory of Jesus that all who believe in Him are already experiencing and will one day experience in totality. I won't entertain any other objective in this study because there is no other valid goal. Like I mentioned at the outset, strangely, this book has had the opposite effect of its intended purpose many times. It's been used to promote all kinds of wild speculation, which is fine to a certain extent for those who enjoy that like a hobby or a game. You know, some of you are just wired that way. You know, like, I like sports. Don't laugh at me. I like sports. Some of you question me. We just bought sports. We just bought channels that show sports. Like, we're into it, all right? But I'm not the guy who's into sports stats. I'm just not that guy. But you know people, men and women, who are so driven, oh, the amount of rushing, you sit with them during a game, and they just rattle off, this is old, that's an all-time record. And, and you're like, what in the world? There's people like that. They're just interested in all the details. Okay? And, and, and guess what? That's people, and the church is people, so you're going to have those people in the church. And they're going to look at the book of Revelation, and they're going to get all interested in the details. That's just how they're wired. There's certain people love the game Sudoku. Sudoku, this math game, right? This puzzle game. My dad plays it every morning. He's right there. I'm putting him on blast. I think he does his devotions first, and then he does his Sudoku. He's got his priorities in line. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, that, that desire to crack that puzzle and that code, I, I don't think my dad carries this over into the book of Revelation, but there's certain people who are just that way. They just want to crack the code. They want to, they want to solve the book of Revelation like a Rubik's Cube. They're, they're wired that direction. And that's fine to a certain extent. You know, we can all play that game. Like, for instance, let me just give away one of the answers. You know, I believe the mark of the beast in Revelation is a sign and symbol for smartphones. I'm going to tell you that over and over and over again. The mark of the beast, if you're not aware of what it is, just a mark of evil. I think it's smartphones, and that's why I don't have one. And you all do, and you all should be worried. I don't believe that, but I kind of do believe that, and you're going to find out. And I say, like, yeah, oh, that's fun. We can all play that game. But a lot of people take that too far. And there's a lot of careless pastors and interpreters who disturb the peace of many Christians because they go too far in trying to crack the code. And there are those who walk away with a false pride and confidence, like they think they have some special spiritual insight into everything that's going to take place in the world. And the sad part of it is they don't. They don't know what's going to happen. So let me just clarify and say I do believe each generation should see themselves in the book of Revelation because of its timeless relevance for all generations. And it does speak to every generation as the events of this book continuously apply to the days in which we live. As I suggested before, the only error is to think that they apply exclusively to the times in which we live. And so we get over-eager in naming and clarifying every sign and mystery as if that's what it means to take the book to heart. Some people walk away, I've got to listen, I've got to take it to heart. That means I've got to crack the code, I've got to solve it all. As if that would produce blessing and joy and righteousness and faithfulness. Trying to crack the code and trying to have a right answer for every sign and mystery is not what will produce joy and righteousness and faithfulness. But what John says in verse 4 and continuing will produce those outcomes 
He says, John, to the seven churches of the province of Asia, seven being the most popular number of the book, seven symbolizing completeness, as in the seven days of creation, as in the seven days in the book of Leviticus that one would have to go from ritual uncleanness to cleanness. The seven times they marched around the walls of Jericho before they blew the trumpet and the walls fell down. So this is addressed to the seven churches. And sure, churches of John's day, but the whole church, the complete church, the church through all generations and times. And here's where the joy comes to all of us in verse 4. Grace and peace to you from he who is and who was and is to come. You would think when John's referring to God, it would be who was and is to come. But the emphasis in the first descriptor given to God, the God who is, who was, and is to come. He's right now. He's right now in the middle of this messed up world, in the middle of this spiritual battle. He's not a has-been. He's not just a God who's going to do some things in the future. To me, this is like the secret to Christian revival, understanding this. And we talk a lot about revival here because there was a revival in the 70s and people coming alive in their faith. I think the secret to experiencing revival for yourself is when we quit reading the Bible as if it's a history book of the things God used to do. When we stop reading the Bible and studying the Bible as if, oh, this is a, this is a history book encapsulating the things God used to be. When we start seeing that God is the God who has done all the things in the past, the God who promises to do all the things in the future in the Scriptures, is the God who is at work right now. He's alive right now. He's intervening right now. He's capable of all the things He's always been capable of right now, here and now, this day, in this city. John writes, from the God who is, the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ. This is Trinitarian, right? So you've got God the Father, the seven spirits, seven meaning complete, This is referring to the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Who's Jesus Christ? Verse 5, the faithful witness who spoke the truth of God, which we have in the Gospels. He spoke to us everything that we're to be taught to obey, right? He gave us the commands that we're to walk in. He testified to all the truth that's there in the Scriptures. He's also the firstborn from among the dead, the inaugurator of the resurrection age. He's the first to be resurrected. And the promise is all those who place their faith and trust in Him will follow after Him in being resurrected. And third, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. You know, I I don't know about you guys. This world is so messed up. And our politics and our government is so messed up. And you can spin out all you want on this stuff all day long. You've got plenty of material to work with any day of the week. This last week, Kevin McCarthy was elected the Speaker of the House. Right? Right? He's third in line to the presidency if something were to happen to the president and the vice president. It took 15 separate votes for him to be confirmed. It hasn't taken that long since the Civil War. That was a pretty divided time in human history. You're watching the videos of what's going on, or maybe you're not. You're watching the game. You're like, when is he going to talk sports again? (laughs) But you watch it. If you're tuning in on C-SPAN... You saw those politicians grabbing each other, pulling each other away, yelling at each other. This world is so messed up. This government is so upside down. And I could say that now. I could say that yesterday. I could say that two years ago. I could say it 300 years ago. But I'm waiting 
for the American church to realize who's leading it. I'm waiting for the American church to have faith in what it has faith in, to believe in what it says it believes. Who is leading the church? Jesus. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He rules the world now. You know, he said when he came, resurrected. Now, you can praise. We're going to praise here in a second. You want to get started early, more power to you. I'm with you. When he was resurrected, he didn't say all authority in heaven and on earth is going to be given to me later on, guys, when I show back up. He showed up and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now. I have it right now. The world doesn't always look like it. It's not always playing out the way that you would expect. But I am the ruler of the kings of the earth today. I'm waiting for us, the American church, to realize, to have faith in what we already have faith in. He's ruling. He ruled in 2020. He ruled in 2021. He's going to rule in 2023 and 2024 and onward. And that should evoke praise. That's the joy. That's the celebration. That's what happens for John in verse 7. Verse 5 and 6, he says, To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his own blood shed upon the cross and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve him, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You know, in Leviticus, as God's people, the Jews were told, I'm making you to be a kingdom of priests. I'm showing up among you to turn you into a people who are going to be like a priestly nation. You're going to be near me so that you can reflect me to the rest of the world. But that didn't find fulfillment then. It finds fulfillment in the church through what Jesus did on the cross. He removed our sin. He filled us with his presence. Now, all of us, the church, is made a kingdom of priests. Being filled with God's presence is not the pastor's job to reflect God to an unbelieving world. It's every single person in here is the pastor, is a priest in this world, shedding light in the midst of the darkness of the world until ultimately one day Jesus is revealed for all to see. And that's the climax that John points to here that the book of Revelation is going to point to in verse 7. Behold, look, Jesus is coming with the clouds and every eye will see, even those who crucified him. And all peoples on earth will mourn when they realize what they did to the Son of God, when they realize what they did to God himself. Creation and human history emerged from God and all is headed toward that one singular point, this great revealing of who Jesus is and this continual revealing of who he is in all generations. God declares in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And I'm everything in between. I'm the God who is, who was, and is to come. I am the Almighty. Those first eight verses summarize everything we're going to hear for the next 11 weeks again and again in countless ways. And it's going to deepen our faith, our confidence, and our joy ultimately in the end. Let me give you three takeaways as we begin this journey together, as we step into this greater study of Revelation. Number one, I want all of us to realize the effect of Revelation on our lives is blessing every week. I'm running it through that filter. 11 more weeks. I'm coming to bless you, church. Because John wrote to bless. God gave John that vision in order to bless the church in the midst of some difficult times. The proper effect, the proper result for the faithful believer is to be blessed, is to be happy. It'll make us joyful. When we not just know what God will do at some future time, but when we understand how he's at work 
Now we're given confidence and faith. Number two, revelation must be heard and taken to heart. So guys, I'm telling you up front, it's going to be worth the effort. It's going to be worth the time it takes to read, to reflect, to think, to be confused, to work it through, to think about the signs, to go back to the Old Testament and read some things maybe you're not familiar with. Because all of it is going to apply to our lives today as a kingdom of priests who are casting this light amidst a world of spiritual deception and pressures, apathy, and blindness. It's a book that's going to wake us up. You know, that's why there's such extreme language, so many different genres. It's supposed to capture our attention. It's supposed to shock us, shock us awake so we can see what God is really up to in the world and what He wants to do through our lives. Not just know the things He's going to do, but become different as a result as we take it to heart. And number three, Revelation conveys God's present involvement and power as much as it does His future involvement and power. I think this is missing from a lot of studies in the book of Revelation. A lot of it is what's going to happen, what He's going to do. The book is just as much, if not more, about His present involvement and power. Can't you see that in these first eight verses? God who is and was and is to come. Jesus who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. God who is the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. The Almighty He is not handicapped by the kingdoms of the world, by governments, by influential world leaders, or by world events. There's nothing that takes place outside of his view. Everything in human history is working in accordance with his perfect purpose to reveal his son Jesus and to defeat evil eternally. So as we consider these takeaways and as we begin this journey together, I want us to take on the call that God has given us, this attitude of listening and taking to heart what has been spoken, what will be spoken in the weeks ahead. Let's take a posture of prayer together and commit at the outset here. We've been given these bookmarks. The bookmarks are not just fancy things to throw in your Bible. This is so you can read along, so you can listen, so you can pray through it, so you can take this to heart. But let's begin with that commitment and attitude this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are. You haven't just done things in the past. You don't just promise to do some things in the future. You're active. You're at work in the world today. The authority of Your Son Jesus is not something reserved for some future date. He is presently the ruler of the kings of the world. And though it doesn't always seem like it, God, we we'll know and we will understand in a deeper and deeper way just how at work you are in the midst of the spiritual battle that is this world. So Lord, would you wake us up? Would we hear you? Would you speak in terms that really get through to us? Sometimes it is to confuse us. Sometimes it is to alarm us. But only to wake us up so that we can be awakened to the truth, so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be blessed and built up. God, awaken us because there is a spiritual battle taking place. So often, God, we're led to places of complacency or compromise. We fall asleep with the gift of life that you've been given us, the, 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 the calling that you've given us. Lord, we think, oh, it's just a mundane life. I'm just here in Orange County. This is just Huntington Beach. It's just my daily life. What's spiritual about it, God? 
thank you for giving us the book of Revelation that just helps us see the spiritual realities of our world and just how monumental the choices we're making, the world that we're living in, the way we're interacting in it, how much it really matters. Awaken us, God. Would you revive us? Would we, would we see you at work in our lives today? Would, as we take this to heart, as we work through it, as we pray through it, as we talk through it, as we ask questions, God, would you increase our joy, increase our confidence? We don't want to walk away just knowing some more facts about this book, having our own theories about what this means and that means. We want to be a people who are changed, whose faith is expanded, whose confidence is increased because we believe what is written in this prophecy and in this book. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Would you do a work by your Holy Spirit in us today and in the weeks to come? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.